Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport just after 8 o'clock in the UK. Although here in Ohio, in the middle of Ohio, it's just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Time. Uh, I'm John Hindorf and up in London is Tim Greer. Uh, it's good evening as far as you're concerned, Tim. Hello there. It is good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight we have what? We have all the usual features, we'll have <laughs> some news, uh, we'll have uh, some previews of what's happening this weekend, we'll be looking back at what happened last weekend, we'll have Nick Damon, uh, a little later on we're hoping to have Shay Adam, and uh, we should also get some Johnny Palmer as well. Well that is a packed programme indeed, Shall I do a little bit of housekeeping before we yes. kick things off? Um, by the way, the reason that I'm here in the middle of Ohio is because it is the uh, IMSA Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course Round this weekend. Uh, and uh, we we actually aren't in the booth at the moment. Uh, we've repaired to the hotel just down the road to do the show tonight. But we'll be back on Friday, Saturday and Sunday for what will be a packed weekend because we've got uh, Spa on Friday and Saturday as well. Remember, Spa is always a Saturday race for the WEC. It's Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones. And um, a set of snowshoes, I think, for those two. Just one shot between them. We don't want to spoil them. Uh, hello to hold. David Riley, who says, uh, Apologies for absence tonight. I'm saving the podcast for the drive to Arden on Friday night. You've got winter tyres. Uh, Rob Jenner, apologies. Looking forward to the podcast already. Hang on a second. There's more people listening into the podcast than there will be live. Uh, Moni says, oh, hi Moni, up in Daytona, took the day off to wrap up a paper and homework, I'll be tuned in, but not from the Cube this time, I'm on the back patio with my laptop and my APA writing manual, big thumbs up, end of semester rush uh, for Moni, Monica, keep up the good work, I, I have no idea how you've done all of that. And it's a super job that you've been doing. Right Turn Lover is listening in from Copenhagen this week. That's wonderful. Uh, whilst trying to come to terms with a rather nice place of spaghetti al ragu. Mm. Crotch Belt is really looking forward to midweek motors th- sport this week. Why? Because they're headed to the house that Auburn built. Mid-Ohio. Already there. Been to the track already. Um, it's a bit muddy. And a bit, as I would say from my neck of the woods, Crotch Belt, clarty. There's a lot of mud around at the moment. Uh, look, Yoda's uncle says, listening in tonight, uh, all no airfares tonight, finishing that the chicken curry looks like something that Professor Quietamass whipped up in the lab whilst it was cooking. Excellent. 
Uh, Kevin Glass is finally listening live. Thanks for removing the boredom of a thousand kilometre drive home, teaching at a race school this weekend, hopefully giving out some licences. Don't make it too easy, Kevin. You haven't said where the race school is. So let us know, please, at Specutainment. Mike Sargent is tuning in from a wet and soggy Quebec. Mike, good to have your company up there. Cotering, uh, Chris uh, is saying, uh, evening all, no AFAs tonight. I'm in Cornwall, looking at the forecast for Spa this weekend. Almost glad I'm missing it. Looks like skis may be required. If it snows, I want to see somebody on some form of a, of a thin piece of carbon fibre going down from the top to the bottom of Radion. It has to be done. It absolutely has to be done. Uh, EFA for Kevin Payne this week, catching up on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, Charles Hall, good evening. Shane, listening live in a garage, bringing a contingent to Mid-Ohio on Sunday. Shane, let us know who you bring along. Uh, and Chris Suku. Uh, listening live, doing little else, waiting with bated breath for the latest news. Uh, David Two Brews checking in, glass of beer of charged, looking uh, forward to the midweek motorsport evening collective, he says. Hope you're all well. And finally, Emma Crawley says, uh, uh, here and ready for this week, although Specutainment sounds like he's in the bath. Um, not in the studio at the moment, Emma, and uh, hope you're all feeling well at home. And ready for the latest news, which Tim Gray up in London will bring you. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we start with Formula One. Hooray! Which means... Actually, I, yes, now you've got me on hockey, I wonder whether I need to replicate the hockey or not bother, I don't know. Good evening, it's Eamon. <laughs> good evening, Tim. And good evening, John. And good evening, everybody. Uh, so, Formula One was in Baku in Azerbaijan at the weekend. Absolutely. Everyone knew that Baku was going to be an action fest. It's safety cars. It, it was crashing. It was crazy. No way Baku couldn't deliver the race of the century. Well, before we get on to the race, let's uh, start <laughs> at the beginning with free practice one. That went well. That was the uh, that was that's it says, like the crazy world of Baku. Yeah, they, I mean, in we fairness, we learned something, didn't we? They are, they're as equally as bad as welding down manhole covers as many other tracks, I include Malaysia and Monaco. Uh, that is true. Uh, Turkey had a problem with a weld the welding problem, didn't they? Montoya. Lots of tracks have had lots yeah. of problems. With it, yeah. uh, but it shows that the uh, Williams isn't short of downforce if it uh, can still manage to suck up that. Uh, Manhole cover. Uh, no one's saying it's short of downforce. It's just short of the amount of downforce you just have compared to everyone else. Uh, George Russell's car uh, suffered a hundred thousand pounds worth of damage. Yes, and lucky old and Claire's already spending her time filling out the insurance form because um, when this happened to Roman Grosjean a few years ago in Malaysia, the track did pay up. Yes. Uh, so I'm sure that's all that Claire cared, cared about was making sure she got the money in. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, moved on and uh, carried on seeing how, how long it would take to get uh, uh, her second rich Canadian sponsor in after losing Lawrence Stroll. Um, there's another Canadian in the wings, I think, isn't there? Uh, and then to add insult to injury, uh, the uh, recovery truck filled the cockpit with oil. That was very funny. That was very funny. That was the, the, cop- the 
Uh, recovery truck lifted up onto the flatbed. Obviously, the crane was still in the kind of the arch position, and they drove along, and it was too high for the bridge. So they rammed the crane to the bridge, which fractured the hydraulic fluid, and it leaked all over the car. Which is anyone who has a hydraulic fluid normally, uh, it's very bad for paint, very bad for wrapping. But given that the car was the chassis was written off, that was the least of uh, Williams's problems. Uh, wasn't the only uh, horrible thing to happen in Baku on Friday. Uh, oh, although you, I know, haven't seen the Formula 2 race, so you won't have seen Formula 2 uh, qualifying either. I did read about it. When, the, when one of the drivers ran over the marshal in his, in his keenness to get going. Well, it wasn't his fault. They were uh, giving him a push start, and mm. it worked. Because Didn't when... Get... All right, okay. When the car anyway. restarted, uh, it suddenly accelerated uh, over the top of two of them. <laughs> it's bump start an F1 car. <laughs> uh, back to Formula 1. Uh, qualifying was action-packed, wasn't it? It was very long, that's for sure. And why I, was that? Because they kept stopping it, because people kept crashing, and, they, and then they had to rebuild the track each time. Mm. Um, was it, I can't, I can't, who was it first? It was... Um, who crashed first? I've forgotten. Was it, was it Danny Rick or was it someone else? I can't remember which order they crashed in. Mm, uh, um, I know that uh, uh, obviously there was uh, Ricciardo, there was a Kibitza crash. Oh, yes, Kibitza did that at the end of um, was, uh, That FB2, must have been early on because he wouldn't have been... Uh, Involved in, in in qualifying after the first twenty minutes, yeah, yes. it was it was it, I was very pleased about my decision not to watch it as live rather than live because I I the most used button was the thirty times fast forward on my remote control so I could just skip past all the red flag moments. Um, yeah, I mean it was interesting because the, the strange thing about the weekend was that in um, all of the well the two free practices we lost the first one Ferrari were, were comfortably faster than than everybody by ridiculous margins in the second second half. Um, and then we got to qualifying with the temperature dropping and, and no one really seemed to be able to energise the, the softer tyre. And suddenly Ferrari's advantage sort of disappeared. They, they probably still had a, a, a bit of an edge. But the problem was the bit of the edge they had was with Charles Leclerc and not with Sebastian Vettel. And then Charles Leclerc, for some reason, going out of medium tyres, thinking that would be a much better way of starting the race, um, made a bit of a, a, a pig's breakfast of the, the corner, which actually claimed Lewis Hamilton three years ago. Um, in 2016 and went to uh, just going up the hill the narrowest bit around the old town clipped the inside bounced the outside and um, and and totaled the front of his car and that was it and couldn't take part in um in the third part of qualifying this kind of mm. left it a bit bit open when the best when the best of the um uh Ferraris isn't there and after toto wolf said there's no magic bullets in f1 um they managed to get a front row lockout yes in what was actually, in fair, it's a very good qualifying session when you watched it, when you fast-forwarded the bits which were broken in the middle. I think, it was, I think it overran by an hour and ten minutes, I think. It like a... It's uh, twice as long as it should have been. Yes, yes. But actually quite good, quite eventful, quite interesting. You know, threw up a, an interesting grid. Um, and then, of course, they started disqualifying everybody. So we had the weird sight of three cars starting in the pit lane. So yes. I can't remember that happening. I, can, I can't remember that happening before because they had to. I mean, we've had it with some Tuesday to do it because of weather. But three cars were all sent to the back of the <laughs> back of the class. Well, let's uh, start be... with uh, Kimi Raikkonen there, shall we? Uh, yes. Because he didn't do anything wrong on track apart from take his car onto it. You shouldn't do that because his, his wing was too bendy by a very small amount. Yes. Even though they knew it was too bendy, but they couldn't fix it. But somehow, they, apparently, they couldn't fix it in the two weeks between Canada and Baku, but they could fix it overnight. Mm. 
So that kind of excuse didn't make a lot of sense, really. Um, so I assume what it probably meant was they were right on the edge and thought they'd get away with it, and they didn't. Uh, that was a wing deflection test. So obviously, um, any of you remember the, the good old days of, of Newey's flexi wings in the 2010s? Um, they've been ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and stiffening the, the wings, the front wings for the last what, well, 10 years to avoid them being accused of a movable aerodynamic device, which is a bit odd, really, because there's a movable aerodynamic device in the rear wing that's fully sanctioned by the FIA, but hey-ho. Um, and then we had Pierre Gasly. He got penalised for two things, didn't he? He got penalised for... Oh, do you know what? He got penalised for so many things. He got penalised, first of all, for missing the Weybridge yes. in free practice too. To me, now... Apparently, all the teams have signed up for this. As, as it does seem to me that missing the way bridge in free practice two, I don't think the punishment fits the crime if you then have to start from the back of the grid. Mm. Because it's not like you missed the way bridge in qualifying. This is free practice two. What's it matter? So you're running a bit. So you, even if you're running a bit light in free practice two, it doesn't matter. You're only kidding yourselves. That does seem like you know you've stolen you've stolen a, 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 a Snickers bar. I'm afraid we're sentencing you to death. You know, it's it's a ridiculous over penalty, but apparently it's all in the, it's in the regulations and it was a mistake and everything else. But you think, come on, you know, with some things that go on track and you get like a five second penalty at the next pit stop. I think, well, you just didn't see the, you know, where, where's the advantage in FPT? All right, in qualify, I can see, throw the book at them. But in free practice, it's free. It's practice, you know. What was the second reason he was qualified? I can't remember what it was for the second time. Did he have... Um impurities in his fuel sample no you're no he over you you're right he was at fuel he used too much fuel in, in, too much fuel in, in i knew it was something related with fuel i've seen so got, many sorry. penalties in so many different championships i can't he got, remember which but, one's which but got but fixing it which meant they had to change the software of his engine management was the third thing that was sent to that made him start for the pit lane so all those three things made you start over fueling missing the way bridge and then having to change the software in the car between qualifying and the race, makes you have to start the pit lane. So you have to start the pit lane three times. Uh, there was a third car starting from the pit lane. Uh, Robert Kubica. Yes. Uh, now, uh, that was simply because he crashed in qualifying and uh, therefore they couldn't put the car in Park Ferme. Yes, because they had to fix it. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, that wasn't I, the I, I, dramas, said... though, was it? No, because he was too keen to be, to be in the pit lane. Yes. And he went out of the pit lane too. And they had that fantastic excuse that, that they hadn't read the rules. I'm thinking, realistically, you know, even Williams have 500 people. One of them should have read the rules. Um, the specific rule was what, Nick? You can only bring the car out of the pit lane X minutes before the start, isn't it? 20 minutes before the start. And they brought him out at uh, 20 minutes before the top of the hour. But that's not when the uh, formation lap starts not anymore, more. is it? No, it's 10 past now. That's right. Why would we, I don't know why they wanted to bring it into pit lane half an hour early. Why don't they just leave it in the garage? Exactly. Uh, they were going, he, was, he was always going to start ahead of the other two because they had, a, they had a strict order in which they were going to start. It wasn't like who was out there first. So he got also, a drive-through penalty for that. Also, it's a Williams. It's going to be last, whatever happens. Uh, yeah. And in the race, it was last. And not yes. helped by starting for the pit lane and then getting a drive-through penalty. No, but I think even without being, being started last, getting a drive penalty would have been last. Uh, George Russell was second to last. George Russell still um, the only thing we know about George Russell is he's better than a one-armed Robert Kubica. We don't yes. know anything else about him, <laughs> though only marginally. Well, it's, it looked like a reasonable amount. I think he took a set of tyres right at the end to make it look more even. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Let's take a look at some other race-type incidents. Uh, mm. Daniel Ricciardo uh, overshot a corner and then took out yes, and he... uh, Daniel Kriat. Yes, it's, I think that's probably the, the slowest uh, F1 accident uh, of all time in that one of the car was doing no miles an hour and one of the car was doing minus five miles an hour. Um, yeah, they went off on the, the runoff. Um, effectively, what happened was that uh, Ricardo was coming up the inside to try and overtake Danny Kvyat, but um, he overcooked it. And so he was going down the escape road, but it meant, of course, that because he was side by side, uh, Kvyat couldn't turn right because the car was there. So Kvyat kind of slowed down, just missed the corner. He was pointing in the right direction. So he was effectively 90 degree angle to um, uh, Ricardo, who obviously just proves that either the mirrors don't work or he hasn't pa- passed his basic test. And he just took, or maybe he just doesn't Burton. like Daniel Kvyat. Could be, and just rammed in the side of it and took out half his floor, and they both retired. Um, and then he apologised, and then he got a three-place grid penalty for Barcelona, which isn't very good news because Barcelona's hard to pass on, I like Baku. Yeah. So bad to worse for Renault, um, who aren't doing very well in the race as well. But up the front, you know, up, up the, the front, front, once again, I mean, once again, Ferrari, once again, we're going to run away with this race. Yes. This is the third race where they're going to run away with, and they're going to absolutely get they mark their, their top speed was going to give them everything. Uh, and they did lead some lap, but only when um, Charles Leclerc got lots through, of laps. Yeah, got through on the alternate strategy, but then he faded away to nothing. Uh, Fettel was a couple of tenths or three tenths off the pace each lap. No, no fault was there. I'm sure it was the car. Um, and Lewis didn't quite bully Valtteri on the first corner and didn't quite manage to catch him up again after losing a couple of seconds in the virtual safety car. So we don't really know how close they'd have got. And yeah, so Valtteri won his second race of the year and obviously is now going to win the world championship because the press have said so. However, as people have pointed out, um, Lewis tends to come alive in the second half of the season and he's got more points this time this year than he had last year. So um, it could be um, not quite so black and white. Had Charles Leclerc stuck to a one-stop strategy? He did. Apart from his stop for tyres for the F Vars's lap, but that was the thing it wasn't working. And uh, done the one-stop strategy in the right place. Mm. And not been affected by a virtual safety car. Hmm. That's two ifs. Could he have finished higher than fifth? Yes, he could have finished higher than fifth if he had simply, I think they they should have gone, what he should have done in his position. When they saw how the tyres were working, they should have gone for a really, really aggressive t- Um And I think if that happened, I think he probably would have got Verstappen because um, he was quite a long way ahead of Verstappen when he was, uh, you know, at, at one point. And when he was like running through his medium tyres in the in the first like 10 laps or 12 laps after the Chapman stopped. I mean, he, if he stopped like quite early, stuck on the, the yellow, the, the other, stuck on the soft red tyres, done a very quick 15 lap stint and then bung back back another set of softs. I mean, that to me was a much better strategy based on what they knew, but they just sent him pounding around and then, and then when he went on the, on the, uh, the softer tyres, he didn't do anything. And then he, but again, because he was not really trying and then he just basically uh, drifted the back and then he drifted a bit more in the virtual safety car and then got some new tyres and stuck in the fastest lap a second faster than anyone else. But, it was a very confused strategy from Ferrari. Um, you know, they're, they're not really aggressive. It's, it's close. I think Ferrari gets stuck in this no man's land sometimes. They don't, they don't really know who they're racing. Are they racing uh, Mercedes or are they racing Red Bull? And they end up racing no one and just falling behind them. They just need to get a little more focus on, on what they're trying to achieve. And given the fact that they know 
we've already seen the gap between the top three teams and the rest of the field is massive once again. So you're only if you're finishing the race, you'll be in the top six. They knew that Gasly was pretty much out of it because he started in the pit lane. So they knew they're going fifth either way. So why not try something different? Yes. And it and this is the thing: it's this lack of thought about trying something different. It's a lack of thought about okay, we've done this first, but we've got this lead. Do we actually want to carry on losing two seconds a lap and then change tyres? And no, that's not going to work. So. You know, it wasn't rocket science, you know, but by the time they put him in, they were looking, looking for him to make up two or two and a half seconds a lap on a tyre that was, wasn't, was it, we quick perhaps a two or three laps, wasn't we quick ten laps, so it's obviously not, that wasn't going to work. And they were hanging around waiting for a virtual safety car, sorry, for a safety car, which was, didn't come, because everyone was driving sensibly and never really looked like it was going to come. Even even the virtual safety car was ridiculous. That shouldn't have been called either when Gazzy pulled off. That was I don't know whether that was just trying to spice things up slightly or no idea. But he he couldn't have pulled it off into a safer place if he'd driven it in a multi story car park in downtown in London. It was it was it was just safe. He could put oh no no they got to it. So um yeah it was um but it's it's interesting because because everyone's saying what a fantastic exciting race it was going to be. It was an interesting race, but then I'm I'm you know very interested in F one so I can be interested in things. But again, they, they, if, if you start saying it's going to be, oh it's going to be instant pack, you can just about guarantee it's not because you just it, it's, it's you're building up an impossible chance to have another unbelievable race like last year or or, or incredibly significant race. Well, the race before was very significant, wasn't it, with um, Fettel losing his call for the first time. Um, so yeah, you sit there going. You know, it, yeah, but there's, there's a lot of people hyping and building and this sort of stuff. And this is Formula One. You know, sometimes you know you have races where it's just interesting, and it's less interesting to people who aren't as interested as I am. If that makes sense. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Dr. Helmut Marco. We have to because he's just saying silly things now, isn't he? Why is he uh, taking a thousand dollars from or thousand euros from uh, Daniel Ricciardo? Oh, I don't know. I thought you talked about the silly things he said. I'll see things he said. No, well, tell me about that one. I don't know. He's taking a thousand of Danny. Uh, last season, Danny uh, Ricciardo uh, bet Dr. Helmut Marco that uh, Valtteri Bottas would leave Mercedes at the end of the season. It wasn't a very good bet, was it? And not in the end. No, and obviously the the they said that the the big loser out of this resurgence in form of Valtteri Bottas is obviously not. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, but it is Esteban Ocon whose dreams of getting in the main team are disappearing uh, by the second. Um, though it is worthwhile to point out, as, as many people have, that if it hadn't been for the puncture that Valtteri had on the penultimate lap last year, he would have been he would have had he would have been leading the championship at this point as well last season. So we're not really looking at a massive turnaround, uh, apart from the fact that Ferrari have got so many holes in their feet at the moment because I'm shooting itself. And I thought you talked about the Helmut Marco thing where he said that we no, we'll drive one car in a minute. Oh, sorry. Uh, Danny Ricciardo said, I'm not a gambling man. I don't really bet or go to casinos. Uh, a thousand was not by my choice. It's a bit of peer pressure from Helmut. Hang on. Uh, I'm, I'm not a gambling man. He chose to go to Renault. <laughs> he carried on. Helmut always wants to bet more, but when he wants to bet more, you know he already knows the answer. Uh, well. Uh, the good news for Danny Ricciardo, who's not a gambling yeah. man, is that he had another bet with Helmut Marco in Melbourne and won the thousand euros back. What was that about? Uh, Helmut Marco uh, bet a thousand euros that uh, a Red Bull would feature in the top three in, on the grid. That was a silly bet. <laughs> but then he's got confidence. <laughs> uh, so, Helmut Marco. Uh, doing some uh, silly betting, but also uh, some quite sensible betting. Uh, 
And uh, what other silly things has Helmut Marco been doing this week? Helmut Marco has rolled out the concept that women could never drive F1 because it's too physically demanding of their little frail bodies. Um, this is 75-year-old Helmut Marco. Um, the concept, I mean, the, given the fact that you've got women fighter pilots and women astronauts, it doesn't really kind of um, uh, bear any um, uh, semblance of reality, does it really? But he just decided to throw it out again. Um, you know, the reason there hasn't been a woman F1 driver is we haven't got enough people coming through the system. It's not the other reason, because if anyone was near enough to being good enough, they'd be such a fantastic PR vehicle that they'd be, the teams would be all over them. Uh, let's move on to uh, some other Formula One news away from Excellent. what happened in Azerbaijan. Uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix. Yes, it's back. Isn't it? It's back in this row between Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro wanted wanted to find some use for the for the Olympic Park. Um, I think which was which was fetid and unused within about twenty minutes of the last event. Uh, back at the end of the 2060 Olympics, and they wanted to build a circuit or, or convert the roads around the Olympic Park into a circuit and nick the Grand Prix of Sao Paulo. Well, which given that they hard. did uh, demolish Jacobo Pagua in order to build the Olympic Park, why not? It has a bit of a you know serendipity about it. And given that Sao Paulo is constantly in, in problems with financing and not updating its facilities, despite being a fantastic track, and let's be honest, we would much rather have... Um, Sao Paulo than a track built around an Olympic village like Sochi, for example. Um, you know, it's a bit of internal Brazilian politics, but unfortunately it could well be that it will go to Rio. Uh, what do Interlagos and Baku have in common? Ooh, um, I don't know. Could be They're anything, both really. shooting dogs. Oh, gosh, right. Mm. Yes, I read that. The stray dogs in Baku were having a bad time. And obviously, that's always been historically what's happened to the stray dogs in Sao Paulo. Well, that, I think, isn't happening as much now because there used to be a favela, a shanty town, right on the, the far uh, side of the uh, track. But that's now been kind of upgraded to sort of, you know, affordable housing. Um, and therefore, it's a little bit less shanty, a little bit less, you know, uh, wild dog like so I haven't I don't think there've been quite so many uh, dog issues there but yeah there's a there's a quite a a, a, a no tolerance uh, regime for both for, for the stray dogs which are you know making the uh, tracks look messy uh, and next uh, a Formula One story that we probably should have uh, involved uh, Shay Adam in uh, Stephen and Garfinkel not Simon and Garfunkel uh, no Stephen Ross and Tom Garfinkel Right, keep going. Uh, Stephen Ross is the billionaire who uh, wants a street race in uh, uh, Miami. Oh, right, yeah, yes. I, I... And uh, Tom Garfinkel yeah. is the vice chairman and chief executive officer of the Miami Dolphins, who just happens to have a spare 250 acres. Yes, well, what happened basically is the racetrack, which was never going to happen in downtown Miami, is now officially never going to happen because planning permission is hard to get in Western countries. You know, if you're Azerbaijan, you've just got a, a, a big burly dictator who goes, we're doing it. Uh, in Miami, you have to get, you know, do, do, you know, appease certain local codes and busybodies. Um, so they go, right, okay, we're not going to get a Grand Prix in the town. I know, let's build one in the car park because that's been really successful in the States before. Uh, see Detroit, see Vegas. Dallas, see Vegas. I can get there. I'm just, I've seen a certain order. Um, so they want to put it in the car park, I'd say, at the Dolphin Stadium with the 250 acres. And again, 
obviously Liberty are desperate to get a, a Grand Prix. I can't help feeling that they're kind of missing a more obvious trick because I think there's actually a, class, a Grade One circuit they could go back to tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, yes, if they wanted to. Indianapolis, um, or they could, you know, there's plenty of other circuits that could be um, adjusted. But well, as we've learned, sure. it can get a bit rainy in Indianapolis. Yes, it can get a bit rainy everywhere. You know, you just got to choose a time of year. But yeah, I mean, it's it's oh, I don't know, it's it's you know they they, they stuck their, their their neck out this liberty to to get a Grand Prix in, in another Grand Prix in America, and you know you kind of wonder, you do wonder why it is that these these companies go and announce these these ventures when within about ten minutes everyone has pointed out the very obvious reasons it won't work. Why don't they have like a focus group first so people can point out these reasons in private and they not announce them at all and look stupid. Uh, obviously, the uh, Miami Dolphins Stadium is the home to the Miami Dolphins. That is the American that football team. Uh, it's also home to the uh, Miami Open Tennis in every March. Yes, that, oh, okay. they moved there this year. Right. So they uh, convert half of the stadium into a tennis court. And, uh, uh, they have one court? Oh, no, they have other courts, but oh, okay. only one of them's converted from half the stadium. Right, okay. And are they going to convert the same to like what's the pits or something? Um, it's just uh, it's it's a silly. It's just uh, oh yeah. Let them dream. They're billionaires. They need something to do. And perhaps they can throw their money at it. But you know the, the easiest way to make a small fortune, F one Tim, is start with a large one. That's right. Well, well Shay Adam uh, has uh, finally arrived in mid Ohio. Uh, good evening, Shay. Can we have your thoughts Hello. on Miami? I uh, hmm. Mixed. Um, I don't think that racing around the stadium would be any better than racing around downtown. It certainly would draw much less of a crowd, and the people who would come all the way to see beautiful Miami would instead find themselves at the stadium, which is nowhere near beautiful Mm. downtown Miami, and it is less satisfying than you can imagine to wind up in Miami Gardens than to wind up in Brickell. Okay. So, So all of this comes down to somebody trying to manipulate the situation to put an event on on a piece of land that he already owns. Exactly. Okay, so I did read that right. Yep, no, you did. Spot on. You're Uh, listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, Series 14, Episode 18. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, We've got one more piece of circuit news, which is uh, also beginning with M. And that is Monza, which has uh, announced an extension to its contract with Liberty Media to host the Italian Grand Prix uh, up until 2024. Well, that's the second second extension that's been um, announced this week, isn't it? No. Or is the other one not official yet? No other extension has been announced. There is no other extension to announce at the moment. Mm, Okay. Somebody on a website... Mm. Uh, I think may have put two and two together uh, with the fact that uh, they were told that uh, a classic be, circuit was getting an extension. an extension announced to a Grand Prix this week, and also that uh, Silverstone was uh, issuing a press release which was embargoed until today, and thought, "Oh, that must be Silverstone," uh, but it wasn't. So what was the press release that Silverstone released today then? Uh, that was about uh, the Silverstone experience. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, which I'm very looking, very much looking forward to. Going, we've been promised a sneak peek at that, so we'll we'll go and have a look at that and report back on a bit of an inside story. We have Can an opening date before... for it now. Sorry, we now have an opening date for it. Excellent. Back Even to better. Monza, though. Do... This year will be the seventieth uh, Italian Grand Prix at Monza, and Monza mm. is the uh, longest-serving uh, racetrack to host Formula One races. Really? Yes. Despite the fact that Silverstone held the first uh, Formula One World Championship race. Well, if you call it the first Formula One race, then was it really the 2000th in China? 1000th. 1000th. There's no need to exaggerate, Tim. Liberty can do that quite well on their own. I, I, I think we've got to doubt whether Silverstone was the first... Particularly as there yeah, were no, Grand it was Prix. absolutely the first World Championship Grand Prix. There were Formula One races before that, though, and there were Grand Prix before that. Yes, but it was the first World Championship race, is what I said. Yes. Uh, mm. Remember, it did uh, host, uh, or did have a lot of years where it didn't host a race because it was at Brands Hatch. Uh, well, but what about the first Grand Prix was held where? Well, prob- I think the answer you're probably looking for was Brooklyn. Uh, no, it was held at Le Mans, actually, the first Grand Prix. So then that is the, Le Mans is the oldest Grand Prix venue, although it hasn't always been in the same, pl- the races haven't always been in the same place and they don't have a Grand Prix anymore. But that is the oldest motorsport venue that ha- has held a Grand Prix. But Le Mans still does have Grand Prix. Uh, it has the Grand Prix d'Endurance, of course. Again, yeah, not on the same yes. circuit. I it also has MotoGP, Grand Prix of France. Yes, very good. Very good. Yes, very good. Uh, very good. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 18, before we descended in complete pedantry. Uh, here's a few more tweets coming in on Aspect Entertainment. Alexander Orkin should be with us now. He's been to collect the daughter from rugby. Good evening. Uh, Shane says, The young, my sons and their friends, the old, me and my friends... Uh, importantly, we're working on the next-gen base. Very good. Uh, Sarah uh, Sarah Rigby. Hello, Sarah. Tuned in, listening live here in Crew. Looking forward to a great show tonight. What a great VLN race it was at the weekend, wasn't it? And congratulations to Martin Brundle, who uh, got his nine laps in, so he's got his permit, so he can go in a full-power car now with Alex later on in the year. And also congratulations to uh, my... Uh, former teammate Peter Kate, who, along with Jamie Chadwick and Chris Goodwin, brought home the new Aston Martin GT4, the white car, uh, into uh, a decent finish as well for them. Uh, and uh, Peter was full, full submitting praise of that new car. Uh, hopefully looking forward to getting behind the wheel of that at some stage later on this year and having a race. Uh, hello to uh, Kevin Glass, who we spoke about earlier on. He said, uh, the school... It is an AISA race academy which is taking place at Calabogie Motorsports Park outside of Ottawa, Canada's longest track. We're an ASN and FIA licensed. And no, it's not too easy. Lots of yellow flag questions, safety cars and other scenarios to make students think. Calabogie is a fantastic circuit here. It's a brilliant motorcycle circuit as well. Mm. So if you've got a bike and you live in Toronto, it's worth taking a drive out to Calabogie. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for all, all your hard work uh, 
in bringing people into the sport, by the way. Back in my rightful spot, says Whelan's listening in from tomorrow here in Australia, uh, albeit a bit late due to the fickleness of the internet. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's at Specutainment uh, here on Midweek Motorsport. Point of order. Uh, well, yes. Uh, Alexander Walken collecting his daughter from rugby. The town or yes. the sport? I think the sport, because it wasn't the capital R. Ooh, what if it's both? Rugby, art rugby. Mm. Mm. Could be. Could be. Uh, can we do a bit of breaking news? We can do. Um, breaking news, Shea Adam, that has a, an impact, a big impact, on this weekend here at Mid-Ohio. It's another race weekend without Joey Hand, which just doesn't seem right to have an IMSA event without him. Uh, he missed his first ever WeatherTech event last time out at Long Beach. He will not be ready to drive again here at Mid-Ohio. He's still suffering from whatever has ailed him flu-like symptoms. In SportsCar 365, I'm indebted to John DeGeese, who broke the story just a few minutes ago. But Sebastian Bourdais, back in the number 66 for GT. Now, remember, he's driven every race so far this season, so he is still tied on points with Dirk Mueller. Good point. So, technically, he could go for the champ. But, you know, Joey, we want you to get better, man. We we don't like having these races without Joey Hand. Uh, Any word from the medics about when we might see him back uh, and what the situation is well he's been very sick this whole time he's been under doctor's orders to have quote rest with no physical activity whatsoever so it's only this last week that he's been able to even start doing light training again and joey who really is a team player and and truly a chip ganassi man through and through yes he understands that there's a bigger thing going on here there's a championship to go for there's a ford manufacturers championship that they're trying to fight back into right now ford is third in the standings he doesn't want to jeopardize any of that because it's a longer minimum drive time than it was at long beach and he doesn't feel like he's well enough to drive the car um so that's the breaking news on the imsa weather tech sports car championship which is here in mid ohio uh, this weekend before we move on to a few other stories and have a look forward to our coverage of three different championships this weekend on imsa radio over on rs2 uh, a quick word from tim i was just going to ask uh, sebastian Bourdais. uh yes. could they keep him for the rest of the season uh, no, there are two races that are conflicts with IndyCar. One, yeah, but one of them's the at Detroit. Same... Yeah, well, no, I mean, um, there's Gateway, I think, the same weekend as VIR, possibly. Uh, yeah. And there's another one that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it is a, a truncated season, the IndyCar one, but there are two other events that do double up. Mm. That's a shame. So, possibly not. Yeah, it is. I agree. Yeah, possibly not. Fine if he's doing better in EMSA than in IndyCar. No, not Which he is no. at the moment. Yes, uh, very true. Yeah, um, I, I like I like your enthusiasm, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I just three, want to break away from this quick that, thing. Uh, I've mm-hmm. I've put a photograph on the uh, collective on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. of a driver when he was much younger. See if uh, we can identify who he was before the end of the show. Right, I'll get Shea to challenge we'll get, accepted. We'll get Shea to. Uh, to fire that up uh, right now. So this weekend, three uh, events. Four events? What's the fourth? Well, we have four Five. events at Mid-Ohio. Oh. Well, uh, oh, of course, because we've got uh, GT3 and Prototype Challenge as well as the yeah. Michelin uh, pilot. Yes. So we've got four events here. That's Martin Brundle. 
Is it too Surely. easy? That that is Martin Brundle. It is Martin Brundle. By the way. Yeah. From nineteen eighty three that was, I think. He's a little bit um he's a little bit greyer, but the haircut hasn't changed that much. And across the eyes, across the nose, hasn't yep. changed at all. Hasn't changed at all. But very good. Um uh, so four events this weekend. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen the IMSA prototype challenge cars, uh, all the way back in January. No, at... Sebring. Did we? Yeah. Oh, yes, had, of course we They've did. had two races so far this year. They all right, so this is roar. third. Yes, they ran the roll first of all. Um, ha- what are we expecting from those guys this weekend? Um, hopefully keep it clean. It's a technical circuit. It's difficult. They weren't here last year, so this is a big change for them. Last year we had Lamborghini and the Porsches. More on that later. But as far as the IPC field goes, Tim and I talked about it a little bit last weekend in terms of the depth that we have across the drivers across the board. But it's a fairly spaced out schedule for IPC. The bad news for them is the weather report is going to be the big issue, as it will be for the WeatherTech Championship. All of our practice and qualifying looks like it's going to be in the wet. The race should be dry. So that's going to be a big challenge for the non-professional drivers in the IMSA Prototype Challenge Championship. Um, As far as Porsche are concerned, we've not seen them yet because they had their first race at Barber. So this is effectively our first opportunity to see the 2019 championship. And... uh, Quite honestly, the first opportunity. They will mm. be first out on track on Friday, although tomorrow is a promoter test day, so we'll get to see all of the support categories out and running around then. Um, in terms of the the Porsches, when we last left our heroes at uh, Road Atlanta, as it was for us, John, mm. uh, it was Roman DeAngelis who came up just a little bit short. In Barber, he more than made up for that. He won both races of the weekend in a dominant fashion. So we're going to get to see how Roman has changed in the offseason, what he's done to mentally prepare himself to try and go for the full championship this year. But we've also got these new kids. We've got Riley Dickinson, who's somebody we need to keep an eye on. He's garnered a lot of attention so far this year, but also in the Platinum Masters and the Gold Cup categories, it's a lot of familiar names, which is good to see. And that's something that'll put a smile on our faces. Alan Metney, for one, came back to Barber mm. very strong, looking to keep that momentum going. And remember, the Porsches last year were the only ones who practiced in the wet. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, okay. Remember the wheel spin coming across the start? Oh, line? yes, of course. Yes, yeah. I do remember that. Yes, I do remember that. Um, mission and pilot? So this one is a little bit interesting because there was a slight balance performance change issued uh, earlier in the week. It doesn't affect many GS cars. And by many, I mean it only affects the McLaren. They had 50 Mm. kilos added to them post-Daytona. So when they ran at Sebring, still managed to get a car home. I think it was third was the Mia McLaren, which has them tied for first in the standings. Mm -hmm. They've had 35 kilos taken out of the car. But they've also had six liters of fuel taken out. Now, that sounds like a lot until you look at the specification and notice that the McLaren still has a lot more fuel allowance than anybody else. So it's on paper, they should be the strongest cars between uh, the Mia car and the Compass Racing, but it never stays true to on paper. In TCR, everybody's changed. And they've changed a lot of the baselines that they do. Um, Normally, they have things set up in terms of... SRO rules for mm-hmm. TCR. They've changed everybody across the board for their mapping, for what sort of uh, full throttle they're allowed to run. Their well, weight. they've always had that. They've never had the same overall power as 
uh, as normal TCRs, international TCRs. But they've altered it again for this weekend, which is the interesting thing, ah. because they haven't changed that, to my knowledge, since Daytona. So that's been a, a big change. But the weights for everybody changing in um, the Michelin Pilot Challenge, that was something interesting that really caught my attention. It's 20 kilos out for the Alfa Romeo. Everybody else had weight added to them. 30 for the Volkswagen. We don't have one of those running this weekend, unfortunately. 30 kilos on. Right. 15 kilos on for the Hyundai. Hyundai, excuse me. Hyundai. I have Joe Bradley in my head from listening to him too much recently. Uh, I've got 10 for the Honda. So the car that's won both races so far this weekend will be 10 kilos heavier, and the Audis will be 20. So it is a big change all across the board. So the Giulietta is still the lightest car at 1240 kilos. Yes. Uh, 1255 is the Golf. 1275, not the Mini, but an Audi. Sorry, that's an old joke. Uh, 1310 for the Honda, and the Hyundai is 1340s, the heaviest car. And they're allowed to run at 92.5% of their map, which is a lot less than anybody else in the class. So that's interesting. Right, we need to get across that uh, and speak to the guys when we're at the need track. Need to talk to Jeff Mustawi. Yeah, um, we'll have a, a bit of a sit down with that and see if we can get uh, some idea of what... It's all very well looking at that in the bulletin, but one thing that's great about uh, being part of the IMSA paddock is you can go to the technical team and say, right, guys, we've seen what you've got to do. What are you trying to, uh, to achieve, and how do you think this is going to get you there? So those are the questions we'll, we'll ask this week. Looking forward to, to seeing the Michelin Pilot cars around here. As far as the WSC, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, is concerned, Shay, this is effectively the first of the quote-unquote normal races, two hours, 40 minutes, on what might be called a regular natural terrain road course here. And it, it throws up some interesting strategic questions. If you look right at the front of the field, the uh, Daytona prototypes probably got about 40 minutes in the tank. Uh, that means that's... That's a very tight three-stop strategy that these guys are going to have to make if we go green, but let's assume that we do. We've got to see a lot of strategy here. This is mid-Ohio. It's known for two things in particular, being a fuel economy race, mm -hmm. being one of them. The second, not necessarily a lot of yellow. You can get yourself out of trouble just as True. easily as you can get yourself in it. So if you look back at IndyCar, IMSA, no matter what it is. The LMS deals. LMS days, we've seen people go, in fact, we were caught out, I think, one year by the Audis uh, here and going, right, well, they will have to make a splash. They will have to. They're not going to splash, are they? They're not. Oh, all right. They're going to win it. Then. Yeah. And they did it on one stop on a on a 245 race. Yeah. It, it's it's always fun to keep an eye on. But as you rightly say, it's the first of the normal. So it's good to get back into the sort of rhythm that we're going to be picking up on when we get into the summer swing. Mm. But, of course, it's also... The first time that we've seen GTD in six weeks. We haven't seen these guys since Sebring. And then when you put it the other way around, it's the last time we're going to see GTLM until the end of June. Well, GTLM in terms of running over in the Americas, because mm -hmm. we get practically all of them going over to France. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to be doing one of these races for almost two months. Uh, that's a fair point. Uh, and for the GTs, the GT Le Mans and the GT Daytonas, the fuel numbers distinctively different from that of the prototypes. I'm, I'm hearing from the guys 
that I've spoken to, it'll be about an hour. Yeah. So you've got you've got an hour and sixty minutes of racing. There's two pit stops in there. So the option here is do you split it up into roughly three segments of the same length? And uh, because you're going to have to make two pit stops, whichever way it goes. And um, or because track position here is so important because it's not easy to pass here. It's not easy to pass at all. So because track position is so important, do you use your strategy and maybe do a shorter stint somewhere in the race, whether that's the beginning, the middle or the end? It doesn't really matter to try and maintain or indeed improve your track position? That's the questions that the guys on the pit wall will be having to take on. Well, and last year, it was the race at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca that was the biggest fuel save in terms yeah. of GTLM. But this one was the second biggest. This one was really, really tight. And if you remember at the end when Lawrence Vantor came across the start-finish line and he did his massive burnout down the pit lane to celebrate with the crew, he was on fumes when he did that. Um, so it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. And it's going to be a roll of the dice completely agree with you it, it sounds like you've been watching a lot of vln by your shortstop when are you going to take it yes yes thing. exactly so but it does pay off in dividends and the question is going to be does the car with the biggest fuel tank have the advantage or does the car who can save the fuel the best have the advantage because ford has not won here uh the drivers of the ford chip ganassi racing four gts have not won here together as duos and antonio garcia has never won here. And he's a guy who's going to be pretty desperate to uh, get people to stop saying that. So mm. could Corvette sneak through? Will it be Porsche again? It's going to be a really interesting GTLM race. Porsche come here on the crest of a, a wave for yeah. a, a number of reasons. One, because they have the momentum from the last race. Secondly, of course, because Nick Tandy in particular drove stunningly well at an extraordinarily challenging VLN3 last weekend, which... I had the great fortune to be talking about with Bruce Jones uh, over on RS3. and Great job, by the way. I listened to the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't one of those races that you just couldn't take your eyes off. I know Absolutely. it was only four hours, but strategy played into it. But actually, strategy only played into, into it for everybody behind the Manti cars. And I know that the 911 got a, uh, a penalty um, a penalty post-race for a fueling infraction. So they didn't actually... Um, take the whole podium and, and well done Adam Christodoulou and the Mercedes team for, for being there and, and taking advantage of that but Tandy was just <laughs> imperious in the wet weather uh, it put me so much in mind of Petit Le Mans a few years ago it really did uh, especially when he was leading John Edwards that was a little bit too much of deja vu because that's exactly what it was at Petit Le Mans but Nick Tandy in a Porsche in the rain it doesn't matter where the engine is it just speaks to the uh it, it speaks to just where Porsche are at the moment and and I think Tandy and that team and it confused me massively obviously by driving the 912 last weekend right uh, that was just a mind meld straight Should away happen. wasn't it um but they bring that momentum in and uh, there's something to be said for that isn't it that the the mindset and the big more well, and it's something very interesting that you touch on, too, because that momentum can't actually be lost because the points advantage that Porsche has in terms of their manufacturer's lead 
they will leave Mid-Ohio, no matter where they finish, with the Manufacturers' Championship lead. Oh, really? Yep, they've built that much of a buffer. Um, in terms of point swings in the Manufacturers for championships for the drivers, though, we've got a potential 15-point swing in prototype, 12 in GTE Pro. So things could change in terms of the drivers, and 19 points for GTD. We could leave here with a lot of championships looking differently, but not for Porsche. But if you what well, sorry let, let's wait I'll wait I'll ask you about what you think might happen at the weekend weather is going to be the talking point it was at the VLN it certainly is going to be when we speak to Johnny Palmer about Spa at the weekend with the potential of snow at Spa I can't even believe that <laughs> um but here at the weekend it's it's warm it's been humid uh, there's a band of thunderstorms running up through the middle of the US at the scary. moment, which is very scary. Uh, it is tornado season as well. In yeah. it, it doesn't normally come this far uh, through the country, but uh, potential of some wet weather in the early part of the week at least. The other big thing uh, to sort of give people who aren't familiar with the United States, everybody's heard of the Mississippi River. It's just one of those things that sort of is eclectic to the world. All of Mississippi River is flooding right now. And it's a very, very long river. So that should give you an idea of how bad the weather is moving in this direction. Friday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, thunderstorms. No doubt about it. We're going to get wet. It's not a question of if, but when and for how long. The good news is that when the weather moves out, it looks like it should be beautiful. And it means that we should have no issues with tire allocations because wet weather tires don't count towards the tires for the weekend. Uh, good point. That is a very good point. So people in the early sessions, if they use wet weather tyres, will effectively be saving their Michelins. Yeah, it doesn't count against the 10 tyres they're allowed for the pro classes or the seven they're allowed for GTD. What it does mean is I feel really bad for all the Michelin engineers who had to pack up the trucks, got all the dry tyres on, and then saw the weather forecast. I'm like, guys, back it up. Just dump it out. Beep, yeah. beep, beep, Not going to need beep. those. <laughs> uh, just to prove that we're live at half time, it's 1-0. Um, thanks to Johnny Morlam for passing that along. Uh, let, let's talk about the Michelin tyres because, of course, again, every time we come to a new track this year, the DPI guys are on a completely new tyre manufacturer, but there's been some testing here and there's been some extensive testing by some of the teams at the front of the field. There's been quite a bit of GTD testing here, which mm. is interesting. Not as much prototype testing. For example, the Action Express crew, both the Mustang Sampling and the Welland Engineering, they didn't come to test here, which is something different from them from years past. So that's a big change. But the other big difference, it's the first time that the Michelin runners and GTLM are here on the wet on the tires. tires. Yeah. So that, again, throws a wrench into the plan. I was reading on the Corvette Racing press release that Oliver Gavin was talking about that, how that's going to be a whole new experience because this is a track where you're always searching for grip. So you throw that into the equation. Mm. Hmm. Uh, and the, the reason that you're searching for grip here is because there are so many different surfaces around the track. And sometimes you've got half the car, you'll have half your tyres on one surface and half your tyres on the other all the time, maybe while you're braking, turning and maybe cresting a rise yeah. at the same time. You said the tyre engineers work hard. The tyre and the suspension engineers are going to have to work absolutely together in this. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to be how well people have developed relationships 
partnerships with their embedded Michelin tire specialists that they had at Long Beach, if they can continue that forward, because of course they don't have that here this weekend. That's not something that's part of the season. You don't have one dedicated person, mm. but maybe if you just befriended that person you had in California a little bit wow. better, that could be an advantage. So GT Daytona, uh, where do we see the advantage here? Does one of the manufacturers have an advantage? They tend not to, to be fair. Uh, no. And uh, quite frankly, looking at the way that the season began, we had two very wet races to kick things off. Mm. We understand that it's going to be wet running again this weekend. Lamborghini was very strong at Sebring and Daytona. They were impervious, as a matter of fact, but that team isn't here. And there's been a BOP shift for this weekend that kind of slammed Lamborghini. I think it was 30 kilos they had added to the car. So it's proven to be a very, very strong car. But you've also got the Lexus, which is effectively leading the championship because Grasser isn't here. You've got a Lamborghini in second in the championship with Magnus. You've got an Acura in third. And remember, the Acura was really good here last year. Close finish. It was Lexus who won. It's going to be throw a dart. Whoever has the best mind on the pit box. GT Le Mans. (sighs) I like Porsche around here, I think, for two reasons. One, because of that momentum, but also I think it suits the car but there are i honestly i if i'm honest i couldn't make a pick the hardest thing about gtlm is that everybody thinks of this being as the home race for the bmws for ray hellman lanigan yes they're not the closest shop to the racetrack though would you like to make a guess as to who is Porsche's based in North Carolina. They are the furthest. Right. They're down at the core, uh, South Carolina, excuse me, Rock Hill, South Carolina. We know that Ray Hollerman Lanigan is in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Ford Chip Ganassi Racing is in Indianapolis. Yeah. So the Corvette. closest shop is Corvette up in Michigan. Really? They are 179 miles, I believe, from their shop to the track. So technically, they would have home track advantage. Wow. Um, and they've been good here in the past. They have been good here in the they've past. They've been very good here in the past. You just feel like there's a little bit of unfinished business for Corvette, but I'm not looking past the BMWs. They okay. were pretty weak at Long Beach. No secret there. I think they might just bounce back. Uh, DPI, um, Action Express, particularly that number five car. I mean, they just played the strategy perfectly at Long Beach and, and almost stealth in that dark gray car, stealth to the front of the field. Perhaps it wasn't all strategy. Perhaps there was necessity being made of virtue because it, they only changed the one tyre, uh, likely because of the, uh, the possibility puncture. of a slow puncture. Yeah. Um, however, they reacted to the conditions better than anybody else. And with so many tactical options here, as we've highlighted in DPI, who do you pick? It might well be the mind on the mind on the box on the on the pit lane as much as it is the nut behind the wheel. Before the season began, Tony Dezino and I doing our preseason picks. I'm sticking with my preseason pick. It's going to be a repeat for Elio Ooh, and Ricky. really. Mm-hmm. That would be big news for Honda, for Acura, excuse me, at an Acura-sponsored race. Yep, and it gives Elio the momentum he needs to go on. And then, again, preseason pick, win the Indy 500. <sighs> okay. Um, if you think she is right, or if you think she's wrong, at Specutainment, please. Uh, second half of the show comes next here on RS1. Play. Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is midweek motorsport and still to come.
Oh, that's magnificent. That's a new one I haven't heard before, Tim. Very good indeed. Uh, let's have your thoughts on everything we've talked about so far in the first hour of of the Midweek Motorsports Series 14, episode 18. At Speculative and Plays Share and me, John Hindoff, along with Tim Gray in the second half of the programme, along with Johnny Palmer, who'll be talking the penultimate round of the WEC's longest ever season. It's far this weekend, and we'll have exclusive live free coverage on Friday and Saturday for the race. We'll also be talking NASCAR, a bit more of Nick Damon. You can never have enough of Damon, can you? And more sports car news, all coming up in the second half of tonight's programme. Uh, we're here at Mid-Ohio, but it's Nick Damon to talk more about Formula Racing next here on RS1, the home of Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Let's uh, move on to some other single-seaters, because uh, Formula E was in Paris at the weekend. <laughs> I watched that one, Um because it's a Saturday afternoon, and I actually watched it right after qualifying. So I was watching it as live. And I don't think I've ever experienced this emotion in, in a race before, a quality uh, race, perhaps in, in you know, a BTC support race. I actually laughed at the ineptitude of the drivers. Um, it began to rain, and as you probably know, the formerly have all weather, they got tread on them and instantaneously most of the drivers couldn't couldn't drive anymore and they just skidded off into both hail for a bit but whilst it was hailing they had the safety car out and they just released them and they had just couldn't go around corners they just slid into and people were tapping each other and people were and good drivers these are not these are not you know terry tugger from the mini challenge these are you know x wec xf1 drivers and the inability to drive was laughable you know, yes. you sit there going, what are you trying to prove, apart from the fact that you really are panicking about trying to score a bit? Well, I'm not sure where this pressure's coming from. But, you know, it started on the first lap when Ollie Rowland blew um, pole position by by driving off. And later on, he was seen with half his car missing because he, he, he'd overcooked it. Bastian Bramey tried to lead the race and he had a problem and had to, had to retire. And got, retire. Then he got a, a drive to well. And it's like, and then it all kicked off behind everyone else. And all sorts of people hit all sorts of barriers all the time. And every single guy go yellow, somebody else in a barrier, and oh, someone's been punted in, and Oliver Turvey turned a flipping mass around for no discernible reason. And at the end of all of it, Robert Fryan's won. And it is remarkable. They've had eight rounds now at eight different winners. Um, but it's kind of because most of the people appear to be unable to pass without punting someone. Well, that's the and, question I was going to ask. Is it because the drivers are so evenly matched or so equally inept? Uh, it's it's com- It's basically you've got... The cars aren't are, are relatively equal. I mean, they're a little bit... They seem more unequal in qualifying, that makes sense. But once they get into race mode, they seem to be able to do... Because they're all in basically in fuel saving from, from day one, uh, from lap one. So they're all a little bit more close, close together. There are some cars which are slightly better than the others i think the the jaguars horse which won last time it went back to being rubbish again the hwas which we made mercedes next year and been a bit off the pace and the neos have been a bit off the pace but you know not country miles not as bad as the truly team was in the first year um but they but the problem is that they're all very close and and they we, we, every single race the same you're running around a concrete tunnel of a track that's you know between some some bits are only two cars wide some are four cars wide and everything else they're constantly funneling them together that Paris track had no overtaking point. So there was no place you could actually overtake without pushing it or without the other driver making a mistake. And, and 
you know, there's some good drivers making it. It's just thinking, this is this is just not quality driving. I know the cars are quite aren't particularly grippy, but you sit there going, these guys are supposed to be the you know the second best selection of drivers or a very high level selection of drivers, and it was just terrible quality driving but they are they're all trying so hard to get past someone when there's no obvious parking passing space and they're all trying to use this super boost thing and it's all panicky it's all up the inside nothing's clean it's all slap it or you try to block check past someone it's not you know it's and, and the problem is is the series is is reveling all this action all this action and thinking yeah this is this is fine if it was like you know touring cars basically it's like touring cars before the rules of two years ago Punting mm. someone else seems to be okay. And they're supposed to have these yellow flags and these uh, sorry, yellow cars, and that's not working either. And it seemed, it seemed all bets are off for, for the uh, ones he got wet, and you were just had a career into one willy-nilly. I mean, I, you know, I haven't got anything against... I've got nothing against Formula E, but they've, they, they're, in many ways, they've, they seem to have outgrown their circuits already, which is a bit unfortunate after five years. They need to make the circuits bigger, and they seem to actually work out a way of making the cars have a natural parking, the parking passing space, rather than having to to block check or or chuck someone off. Uh, Eduardo Mortara and Alex Lynn uh, came together, uh, while as uh, Mortara uh, tried to find a place to overtake and failed. Uh, he described that, 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 that wasn't e- that, what about those? that wasn't even close. That wasn't even oh that was a good idea. He was trying to go up the inside of a corner with a third of a car width. Just what, because, what did Mortar would describe it as? Well, I can only... He, if he was being honest, he'd describe it as the worst moment of my career. I'm an idiot. He said it was slightly optimistic. Right. That's a little bit like... You know, it's slightly optimistic. It's a little bit like me saying I can jump the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Uh, well, what's happened to Eduardo Mortara as a result of that? Well, hopefully he's been given like a grid penalty. A three-place grid penalty, yes. Uh, He's not the only one with a three-place grid penalty, though. Jerome D'Ambrosio got one. And so Jolly Rowland. Uh, Ambrosio uh, came together with Sam Bird. uh, Yeah, that was silly as well. Who says, uh, I'm sick of getting hit. He's not had a good run. He was. He was. Sam Bird was leading the championship. Yeah, uh, he was leading the championship by someone else. Yeah, he was leading the championship three rounds ago, and he's not got, scored any points. Cause he, well, we scored one or two points in those last three rounds because he's been punted off in two of them. I thought. I thought. I wasn't quite sure whether he was totally innocent this week round, but uh, I think the final, the final now in the coffin was probably with somebody else. But there have been some bumping and boring on both ways. Um, so I want to say that the problem is the cars are too strong. And uh, the mm. new car, the new Gen 2 car is too strong. So you can do this punting business with, with, with a good chance you'll get away with it. And Robin Fryan's actually won the race despite having his front wing broken from about lap three when he was he went up the backside of Sebastian Buemi. Not more because there was a misunderstanding than an actual attempt, bad attempt overtake. But he had one of his, his wing half working. So obviously the wing's doing nothing. So yes, it looks pretty. So perhaps you've actually made the bits do something. So if you broke with them, you'd miss them. They'd be a bit more careful with them. Uh, what's going to happen to Formula E in Season 7, which is the 2020 to 2021 season? I have absolutely no idea. We've got, we've got Porsche Mercedes joining next year. Uh, is that 2020? That's, that's 1920, isn't it, the next it one? It is, yes. So, oh, no, no, was, tell me. This sounds exciting. What's going to happen? Tell me. It's going to get a new name. Oh, it's not being sponsored by ABB anymore. It's going to become the FIA World E Championship or something like that. 
Is he not a world championship now then? No. Oh, they're going to go to enough. They're going to go because to enough. You places, need to have uh, to be a world championship. You have to have four manufacturers competing for a whole season. Uh, you need ah, to go to right. a certain number of continents, don't you? Okay, it's a manufacturer bit, is it? Uh, well, they've got Jaguar and that Nissan. I mean, they do have that many manufacturers Indra, at the moment. Um, mm. I don't think they're going to four continents at the moment, are they? I'd be surprised. Um, but they go to Hong Kong. They've been to, they've been to South America. Yes, yeah, so they've uh, been to North America and Europe. Not this year. I don't know. I, I, I mean, probably because it's, it's now wanting to become. I mean, yeah, it just it obviously it just means to get to the gala. It doesn't really change the uh, the value one way or two other of the championship. But uh, oh, you know, good luck to them. That's all I can say. They they do need to have a look at. They've, they've sorted the cars out. They now last the whole race, and they now need to make them a little bit more um, more risk averse. I'm sorry, more risk result and more risk and reward involved and they may need to make the tracks a bit wider that's you know that's what they need to do I've, I've solved Formula E for you in about 13 seconds yes uh, the uh, plans are at an advanced stage of negotiation between the FIA uh, Formula E and uh, the Formula E Team and Manufacturer Association or FETIMA sounds like a sounds like a health drink from uh, from uh, Turkey. I have some Fetima. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Uh, Formula E is where next? I don't know. Monaco. Oh, is it Monaco? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, 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 they, they were at one point going to run the whole circuit, weren't they? And then they think they and may have they changed. weren't. Yeah. They, they thought, yeah, that was been quite good. And then they realised that even in the slowest track on the F1, they'd be so much slower. And there was a rumour, of course, they couldn't get up the hill, but I think that might have been true with the first generation, but not the second generation. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, at least that, uh, one of the few times where Monaco will look like a very wide circuit compared to the rest of the circuit of the season. Should we do some bikes now? Go on, then. Uh, because we managed to uh, not have an overload of uh, bike racing at the weekend like we have had none. recently. We had uh, none at all. I know. We've got we'll be back on with World Superbike this weekend and, and MotoGP no surprise, Tim, it's in Spain. Is it? Yes, that is it's World Superbike back this weekend because it's in the middle of the next. I can't remember if this one if it's this week or next. They don't normally have them in the same continent on the same week, so I might have to check my World Superbike diary. But yes, certainly we have uh, it's it's the Jerez Jerez Grand Prix for uh, MotoGP and obviously at this point um Mark Marquez has given everyone a bit of help and given them a start. Um, by falling off last week, uh, so yeah, the week before last in uh, in Texas, is obviously going to, um, to to make it a bit easier for everyone by actually uh, staying on his bike and winning the race. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Um, Imola's the following week. Uh, the following week, fine. Yeah, uh, that is the next round of the World Superbike Championship. Uh, or as it's known, the Al- Alvaro Bautista Tour of the Tour of the World, winning all the races championship. Who's uh... Been saying nice things about about Easter this week. Ducati. They said they wouldn't have won any of their races if he hadn't been there. It's not the one I was thinking of. Oh, okay. That's the one I saw. Which one have you seen? Andrea De Vizioso. No, oh, okay. He's gone. Uh, Fellow Ducati man, obviously. Uh, another Ducati man. I mean, I, so yes. Uh, 
he said uh, Bautista is doing something exceptional, but that's nothing new to me. I've competed against him in 125, 250, and many years in MotoGP. I think throughout his career, he's never quite realised how good he is. Or pointing out, I've beaten him all those things, so I'm better than him. That's called the backhanded compliment. Indeed. Uh, Nick Damon, we will talk to you again next week. Thank you, Tim. And now that uh, Nick has gone, because he hasn't seen it and therefore didn't want to talk about it, we can go back to single-seaters. And with John and maybe Shay, we'll talk about Formula 2. Because it was the second race weekend of Formula 2 in Baku. Well, barely. Uh, it was an oh, absolute you distorted joke. Back again. It was, it, was, it was an absolute joke, I'm afraid. And uh, it, it, this... What I'm about to say is a criticism purely of the organisers of the track, not at all of the marshals. I've seen a lot of people criticising the marshals. I think that was unfair. Uh, they were doing their best in a difficult situation um, with drivers at some stage who couldn't keep on the track. But it's a straight track, so things are going to happen. However... Uh, it didn't. Have, what I'm about to say didn't affect the Formula One race, but it could have. We lost far too much time in Formula Two because there weren't enough cranes around the circuit. What is it that you notice about particularly places to, who have had street races for a long time? Like, hmm, I'm thinking Monaco. There's a, there's a crane pretty much on every corner. They don't rely on snatch tractors to come round and lift things up. We lost. Nearly 15 minutes of this of the sprint race in F2 for two cars that were uh, into three the cars wall. really. Well, one of them drove away, Tim. Ah, one of them once was pushed away. It was it was driven away. Um, but there was two cars at the end of the race, which could have easily been craned away had there been a static crane on that corner. What they had to do was bring a, a crane around from a, a sorry a snatch tractor around from the other side of the track. It was absolutely disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful, and the organisers deserve to be uh, censured about that. I felt really sorry for the marshals who were working very hard indeed. I got some very undeserved criticism from some of the drivers. Uh, it just took too long to get the recovery vehicles to the places that they needed to be. What that circuit needs, particularly in the obvious pinch points, is static cranes that can be swung down and then the cars are hauled away out of harm's way quickly and without fuss. Exactly what happens at Monaco, whether it's for Formula One or, by the way, for Monaco Historics or anything else that runs at Monaco, it just takes a little bit of organisation. And, and actually, I was really looking forward to the Formula 2 because it, it, it races very well around there. And last year's races were fantastic. This year, they were spoiled, absolutely spoiled, by the fact that we didn't get enough racing, basically because every time there was an incident, it took three, four times as long as it should have to get the cars recovered. Not good enough, must try harder. Should we talk about the penalties that have been awarded subsequent to uh, Formula 2 in Baku? Hello? Yes? You just made me cringe by saying that. It's exactly what you don't want to hear from a teacher on a report card. Mm. Uh, we had a penalty for Tatiana Calderon, who was adjudged to be 
in uh, to blame for the uh, turn one crash between her, Ralph Boshing, and Louis Deltraz. Uh, the stewards decided she was uh, overly she ambitious. Mm, she had a rough weekend, in fairness. Car broke down on Tatiana uh, earlier on in the weekend. Um, didn't get to the bottom of that, really. Wasn't overly happy with the condescending language from her engineer, either. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. Um, but I, I, I had to listen to it twice to make sure I hadn't misheard it. Um, On the positive there was though, a lot she, of drive- she is the first female driver to lead a race at this level. Um, Apart, obviously, from the females who've won races at this level, but we'll forget about those because it doesn't suit the uh, doesn't suit the uh, PR angle. It doesn't suit the narrative. Was she the first one to lead that particular race, maybe, yes. this yes. year? Yes. Uh, on that date? Yeah. She, she, yeah, there you go. She In was definitely car. that. Yes. yes. Uh, she <laughs> also... Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, she also went for a slightly different strategy there uh, in the feature race, which uh, would have paid off possibly... Um, if it if she hadn't broken down, uh, so she, as I say, if we go back to the penalty, she was given a penalty for uh, Barcelona for her move in the right. first race. Uh, she's getting a three-place grid drop at the next round in Barcelona. The other uh, mm. person to be penalised is Mahavir Vakunatan, uh, who uh, passed uh, Guan Yu Chu. Uh, before the control line at the restart of the safety car. So five seconds were added to his race time. Uh, He'd already finished last, and now he's finishing last about five seconds later. Well, he's probably a Williams driver in the making, isn't he? Um, Listen, the other thing that I want, the other point I want to take uh, up on that, by the way, and it it was brought into stark relief, um, on restarts after virtual safety cars or safety cars, because the leaders did not want to have everybody dragging past them. They waited till the very last moment before they headed for the hills and hit the loud pedal on the cars. We've got to get a regulation similar to what we see in Australian racing and other forms of endurance racing, where once the safety car lights go out and the safety car clears off, you can't wave. It was absolutely ridiculous. We had one accident. We could have had many more. particularly given the change in regulations in F2 this year that doesn't allow any uh, for any overtaking before the start-finish line, not the control line, then I'm sorry, you, you shouldn't be able to weave. Soon as the safety car's gone, no more weaving. So in fact, soon as the safety car lights go out, no more weaving. Otherwise, you get a drive-through penalty. It's very, very dangerous. And having been in a couple of races recently where we've been behind the safety car, uh, and weaving around a lot, even behind the safety car, weaving around a lot, you've got to be very, very confident that people are, uh, around you know what they're doing, aren't going to run into you, aren't going to zig when you zag, that sort of thing. So please, FIA, have a look at that. Um, you're supposed to be all in favour of road safety. Let's get something done. It will not change the spectacle. It will not change what the drivers do everywhere else on the track. But as soon as the safety car lights go off, no more weaving, please. Absolutely not. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14. 
episode 18. Shea, Adam and John Hindhoff in Ohio for IMSA this weekend. We've got WEC at Spa. We'll be talking to Johnny Palmer in a little while about a race that could be all white on the night. Uh, it will be all white on Saturday if it happens because the weather forecast is interesting. More with JP uh, with that a bit later on. Tim Gray is up in London. Where would you like us to go next, Tim? Uh, did you mention when you did Still to Come about what's on after us tonight? I did not. Thank you for that. Well reminded. Tonight is uh, another one of our inside stories. So it's a, a big Wednesday tonight. And it's another one of our revisits. If you remember the very first inside story, we went up to um, Zytec and Gibson Technologies. And we've been back uh, in the intervening years to there. A few years ago now, we went to, it may have been the first year. Uh, so it might be as long as seven years ago that I was at the Bathurst 12 Hours, that Creelsey took me around the Australian National Motorsport Museum. Maybe six years, maybe it was the second year that I was there. Um, however, there's been a change in management there. Uh, Brad Owen is the new museum manager. He's got a great background in museums and he's a top motorsport enthusiast. I'll, I'll say no more because Brad took me for an absolutely extraordinarily informative look around a redesigned, reconfigured, but still very interesting National Motorsport Museum of Australia whilst I was over for the uh, high-tech oils bath of six hours. And that follows us uh, the, uh, after the midweek motorsport this evening. So tune in for that. Uh, it is worth listening to. And I'll also say as well on Inside Stories, earlier on this week, I was at Kettering, not that Kettering. Uh, a Kettering much closer to where I am. I was going to say Kettering is uh, somewhere you go quite often, I'd have thought. Well, yeah. yeah. All, all, all Bit of supermarket shopping. Often. Well, no, I did that in Wellingborough, in fairness. But I was in Kettering to go and visit Forge Line Wheels. Uh, and we've got a very informative uh, inside story on Forge Line uh, with the Shard Brothers and what is absolutely a family concern. Um, we'll try and get that put together for you. Uh, for the weekend on It'll IMSA on Radio. Sunday We've got a couple of IMSA gaps. Radio. That will it be on Sunday? Have you yes. already decided, Tim? Yes. Be excellent. When will it, what will it be between then? It will be immediately after the second race of the weekend for the Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge. Right. So between that and our countdown to green for the Acura Sports Car Challenge, the main event. Correct. Ooh, Excellent. Okay, so put that one in your diary, and the um, and the responsible adult will be tweeting that out. Um, we've even had a little bit of video from there that IMSA and their social media channels have been sharing uh, recently as well. I was in a very happy place talking the technicalities and the changes in technology of wheels manufacturer uh, with David uh, and. Uh, uh, with David Shard and his brother Steve just fantastic uh, so listen out for that and don't forget stay tuned after us tonight for Inside the National Australian Motorsport Museum Tim where would you like to go to next? Uh, I've got one more thing before we leave Formula 2 okay. uh, which is about a uh, Formula 2 driver and like many Formula 2 drivers uh, this is one who has been a Formula 1 test driver or specifically Formula 1 simulator driver we're talking mm -hmm. Nick de Vries, who was the simulator driver for McLaren. 
he told uh, Dutch press at the weekend, I no longer am the simulator driver for McLaren. Oh. Uh, I don't want to sound arrogant at all, but Lando Norris and Alex Albon will really know better than me. Which sounds pretty <laughs> arrogant, doesn't it? Yeah. He missed his target there. Uh, he is likely to talk to other teams uh, about uh, standing at the back of the garage for them. Uh, he says, I can't <laughs> say anything else about it. Ultimately, it will be all about what I'm doing here. He said, talking about Ooh. Formula 2 and not Formula 1. That's a bit like when you say, uh, I'd like to say that with much respect, um, when you actually mean the, you're not going to have any respect at all for the people uh, yes. that you're about to talk to. Mm. Shall we move on to sports cars again? Before we do that, a couple of tweets. Uh, Ad Speculative, right turn lover, said, how about the drivers in the series previously known as GP2 don't drive into walls in the first place? Don't criticise trying... And the people trying to clean up the mess you made. Uh, RTL, I don't disagree with that at all. I just think that the criticisms from the drivers that were aimed at the marshals were unfair, and it was the organisers who didn't have the right equipment around the circuit to whom they, sh- they would have been more correctly aimed. Uh, and Cliff Norris has tweeted, I'd spec your team, and totally agree with the Calderon pits to car comment. I too rewound it as I didn't believe what I'd just heard. However, second occasion I did rewind this weekend was to hear Andre Lotterer before the podium in Formula E asking the winner how much bonus he got from his manufacturer for winning the race. <laughs> I'd spec your team, please. Um, we're back on WEC action this weekend at the awesome circuit of Spa Frank de Champ. Uh, we have that racing on Friday and Saturday, qualifying Friday, racing on Saturday. It's Bruce Jones and Johnny Palmer who will be talking you through that. And with any luck now, if the gods of technology have uh, are on our side tonight, we should be able to say good evening to JP. Hello, Johnny. I'm praying hard, John. Can you hear me? Oh, that's magnificent. Sounds like Beautiful. you're in the room with us here. Um, he is. This weekend... Yeah. That would be a bit cramped. It would be very cramped. Uh, This weekend, you may have to use, we've got to say this straight away, you may have to use your skills in filling a la VLN because the weather forecast for Spa this weekend is not very spring in Belgium-like. Well, that's disappointing because the last time I was at Spa for the 24H series, the 12 hours there was like June or July. It was beautiful. Mm. So I assumed the weather was going to be like that at Spa all year. Well, yes, Um, a likelihood of rain, sleet and possibly snow on Saturday uh, with the low pressure that's settling in over Europe at the moment. Let's put that to one side because I'm sure you and Bruce will find something to talk about. We're coming towards the end, finally, of this immensely long transition series uh, season, rather, which has effectively been a season and nearly a half for the WEC, uh, championships uh, could be decided, certainly for the manufacturers in prototypes. Toyota, of course, on the verge of it, but have, have amazingly not yet clinched that championship. No, um, they're over 50 points ahead of Rebellion and SMP Racing. So, yes, that's certainly on the table uh, this weekend. The, the kind of 
little tweak that we have to add in towards the end of the season is that Le Mans is an extra 50% of points. So for a race win rather than 25 points, everyone actually gets 38 points in June. So, I mean, that's sort of the nice thing about the fact that it's uneven points through the course of the season. Some people don't like that. Uh, I do think you should get a few more report, uh, points for a 24-hour race compared to, to six hours. And mm. then, of course, we had the increase for Sebring as well, which wasn't quite the 50% uh, bolster. But, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't see anybody other than Toyota winning, frankly. Uh, we do have a couple of rebellions this weekend. We have a couple, a couple of SMP racing machines too, but um, they're, they're not technically in a category of their own, but they always have been this this uh, yeah. s- this transition season. And uh, I'm fully expecting, if not this weekend, then th- that will be sewn up by Toyota Gazoo Racing over the next two races. And whilst we're talking Toyota Gazoo Racing news, the I think not surprising news that Fernando Alonso won't be back next year. The... Uh, mission for him was to win Le Mans, uh, to win a drivers, another Drivers World Championship. He'll be moving on to something else. But the good news for sports car fans is he, his replacement is Brendan Hartley coming back to World Sports Car Championship or the WAC, should I say? Yeah, uh, that's exciting because uh, you know elsewhere he's, that he's raced, I'm not necessarily sure he's got a fair deal. Um, he has had some action already this year. Um, aboard an SMP Racing BR Engineering uh, BR1, which was at Sebring, you may remember. Uh, that seat's gone to Stoffel van Dorn for this weekend, so we are cycling through former Formula 1 drivers. That means no Jensen <coughs> Button, but Stoffel um, filling that void and joined by Vitaly Petrov and Michaela Lotion. So, I mean, you can't knock the little black book that SMP Racing seem to have because, you know, True. if they need to find a replacement, they're always very good. Um but there's been a fairly high rotation there. It's going to be interesting to see which way they go uh, in the future. But uh, yeah, Fernando Alonso, it's kind of job done, particularly if they can seal the championship, which is possible this weekend. If the eight gets a good result, the eight, number eight Toyota gets a good result and the number seven doesn't finish. I should mention Jensen Button, his performance uh, behind the wheel, not the issue here. Um, spoke to him a little while ago and he has, uh, I think everybody knows, that his uh, fiance, his partner, is uh, quite heavily pregnant at the moment. So he's staying at home in L.A. to uh, do some, um, uh, do some uh, father-to-be question uh, duties. I mean, we talked about that uh, last week, but just in case you, you didn't pick that one, uh, you did, didn't pick that one up. Um, no dragon speed this weekend, Johnny. Not in LMP1, no. Uh, they do still have their LMP2 car, and that's uh, very much in the title hunt with uh, Roberto Gonzalez, Pastor Maldonado, and Anthony Davidson, who took over from Nat Berton uh, after Le Mans last year. But yes, the number 10 um, LMP1 car, which has been there for every round up until now, um, not there because of what they're saying, a supply problem uh, for electronics that went wrong at Sebring. There was a, a an incident you may remember at Sebring and the car has had to be repaired since then. They've had a good few weeks because they took victory in the opening ELMS race at Paul Ricard and now, of course, focusing on something that they're not used to at all, which is the Indy 500 because Ben Handley will be racing there. So possibly focus elsewhere. Also, 
the fact that they haven't got the bits that they need to repair the car. So they are going to sit that one out. I mean, that in, in a way means that they're going to be a little bit on the back foot going to Le Mans because this race is often treated as a, a bit of a test session as well to get the cars set up for Le Mans. That's the reason why we've got a few extra entries, including the, the number 26 uh, G-Drive racing Aurus, which took pole position in ELMS again at Ricard. And the Aurus is going to be turning out for the um, this, this Spa six hours ahead of Le Mans, which is just around the corner. So they'll be frustrated that they can't be part of it. I'm sure there's elsewhere to test between between now and Le Mans, nevertheless. But um, Dragon Speed will be there as a team. Elton Julian's outfit will be present, mm. just not with their LMP1 car. Uh, Elton never backwards in coming forwards. Um, it would be interesting to hear what he's got to say about these issues. I, I remember, and share your you'll remember this as well because you were in the pit lane, they were not happy bunnies at the WEC at Sebring, were they? No, it was uh, quite difficult to get a happy interview with anybody down at Dragon Speed. And that's not usually the case. Uh, they're, they're pretty affable and, and generous in terms of their honesty. But there was a lot of aggravation in the pits at Sebring. So I'm not at all surprised to see that maybe some of their kinks still haven't been worked out. Uh, as far as LMP2 is concerned, Johnny, it's been a fantastic season as ever. The second rung of the, one might say the third rung, of course, if you count Toyota has been in a class of their own, but the official second run, rung of prototype competition uh, has seen great battles all year. And as we had, head towards the end of the season, uh, who's in the best shape to take championships? Who has momentum as we go into Spa this weekend? Um that is tough to say who has momentum. It was the Jackie Chan DC racing outfit number 37 mm-hmm. that won at Sebring. Um, but they only have a five point lead over Cinetech LP Matmo to again had a decent result. They were second in Florida and the other Jackie Chan DC racing crew who took victory the round before, which would have been Shanghai. So I mean, talking seven points separating three different cars there, 37, 36 and 38, both of the Jackie Chan cars and the Cinetech Alpine Matt Mutt's entry. I mentioned Dragon Speed. They are a few points back, but that's 48 with 65 still on the table once you count the two individual points for pole position. So, I mean, it's, there are a lot of teams that could still win it. Only seven entries through the course of the year, but that means that when you've got only eight races and, you know, a relatively small entry in LMP2, but very, very strong, um, it's so tight going into the final couple of races. I can't really predict that. It's. Um, I have to say, I'm slightly surprised there aren't more wild card entries, particularly in LMP2. We've seen it before, haven't we? Um, the race before Le Mans, where people have come in. There's a there's a relatively healthy 30 plus car field, but we've seen sometimes up towards 40 there with a few wild cards. But that what that does mean is that it is pretty much just the championship runners who are battling it out. And in LMP2, as you say, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a pretty pretty steady run for everybody. Everyone's had a, a chance of it through the years, uh, through the, the season, should I say. Um, no favourites from your side of things coming in? I mean, JCD's, Jackie Chan DC Racing, do tend to be able to turn it on uh, in the in the run-up to Le Mans. They're, they're, they're sparring Le Mans specialists, aren't they? Yeah, certainly, yes. And um, what I've liked is the consistency from from those teams. I mean, it's a shame that we lost the Malaysian trio who were doing so well and had taken a race mm. victory and their average age was something like 21. 
so that was refreshing for a couple of um, well, three single-seater guys more recognised from that part of motorsport coming into prototypes. Sadly, they ran out of cash and their major sponsor pulled out. So there was a change in the driving lineup. And we've got David Heinemeyer Hansen, Jordan King and Will Stevens uh, driving the 37 this weekend. The 38 will be hoping Tong, Gabriel Obrey and Stefan Raquelmi. There is one extra entry in the LMP2 ranks. And as I say, that's the Aurus. Uh, that's not a stretched LMP2 car, despite it being a, a Russian limousine factor. Uh, but G-Drive Racing took pole position at, at the Ricard event and often are strong mm. there. So, I mean, could they potentially take first or second place points from somebody else? They're not in with a chance of winning the World Endurance Championship, but they could take crucial points away from other teams that have been there all season. So, I mean, look out for that 26 car. Roman Rusinov. Jot van Utert, mm. who's made the step up from LMP3, champions in the ELMS P3 last year. Uh, and John eric Verne, who, now he just missed out on the title because he missed around in the ELMS. But I mean, you know, just about the fastest guy on the grid, John eric Verne in LMP2. They could trouble everybody else in the sense that they may take 25 or 18 points out of the equation. In GTE, as it is, I get the nomenclature correct. Um, well, actually, whether it's GT or GT Le Mans over here, we're talking about Porsche first and second in those two major championships in, in which they are competing. It's Estra and Christensen ahead of Bruni and Leeds uh, in terms of the World Endurance Championship. Been a good year for Porsche and a good year coming off a good year last year as well. They've kept this momentum going. The Porsche likes Spa. Can you see them being troubled around there? I mean, the other manufacturers really have to step up. Ford, in particular, want to win some of these big races in what's probably their last year in the World Endurance Championship. The IMSA, uh, the IMSA uh, team may well run on with Chip Ganassi, but this is likely to be their last hurrah at Spa and Le Mans this year in WEC. They'd like to win some more big races, wouldn't they? Certainly, yes. And uh, actually, 12 months ago, uh, things went very nicely indeed with Oli Pla and Stefan Mucha taking victory in the Ford GT. So you could say, why is it not possible for them to do it again with the regulations changing very little? Um, actually, though, as the season pans out, that's turned out to be a freak result, if anything, for, for Pla and Mucha because they've struggled to score in the last four races. Le Mans wasn't, wasn't too bad with a fourth place finish, but... Um, I mean, Porsche are up there, particularly Esther and Christensen, because they took victory at Le Mans. And that's a big, juicy 38 points. Um, plus then podium finishes in three of the four races since then, uh, including a win in round four, which was the Fuji race. So, yeah, Esther, Christensen, Bruni, Leitz, they are a long way ahead of everybody else. And actually the gap between the two Porsche squads, 25 points. That's a race win, sort of, mm. you know, as a, as a buffer zone going into the final couple of races. Ferrari struggle, uh, Ferrari particularly struggle in qualifying. They do come good come the race because they can just eke out a little bit more fuel mileage and that could be crucial around Spa as well. Um, we we will get an extra five minutes of qualifying this weekend, I'm remembering, because, of course, Spa is the longest six-hour track we go to at seven kilometres yeah, pretty much back on. That allows, or it means it takes longer to get out from the pit lane and return as well. So 25 minutes qualifying. But I don't see Ferrari particularly lighting up the timing screens there. It'll be interesting to see what Aston Martin bring, because obviously the development in that new Vantage AMR continues, and they did get a race win 
uh, the back end of last year at Shanghai. So 12 months is a long time. And when they didn't really feature at, uh, at Spa in 2018, could be a very different story this year. Have we lost someone? I'm still here. Did yes, I think were... we may have lost John. Ah. Uh, what was he? What was he asking you? We were talking about GT Pro, but I think we'd pretty much dealt with that. So I'm happy to talk about GT Am now, um, because Egidio Perfetti, Jörg Bergmeister, and Patrick Lindsay will go into this penultimate race with, again, a, a decent margin of points. We're talking 25 again as a as, as a lead gap over Francesco Castellacci, uh, Giancarlo Fisichella and Thomas Fleur. So certainly the Porsche squad looking like they're in a good position. Remember that the pro speed competition Porsches had all their points stripped um, after the Shanghai race. So basically had to start again. Uh, at Sebring they did very well in Florida because they took the race win but that does mean that the two Porsches are a long long way back despite you know getting the results yes to, to potentially win but you do have to abide by the rules after all and Christine Reed's team yes. not yeah absolutely Johnny um Johnny are you slightly surprised at that the two new cars for this transition season the the Aston and the BMW haven't uh, perhaps done quite as well. You mentioned, obviously, the Aston has had a, a win. I suppose the problem with th those is with this rolling BOP, they're being the new cars, they haven't quite got all of the data that they've got for the other cars. Now, that could work for you. It could work against you. True. I mean, I, we've had this discussion many times on the odd post-race tech show about, you know, whether it's a little unfair for teams bringing in new cars. Um, it should all be down to the data that's supplied within any one particular season, though. However, if you're not at the top of your game in terms of setup for each of the tracks with a brand new car, then you are going to be a little bit on the on the back foot. But um, I, the, the Porsche victory at Le Mans, and also then they had a, they've had a couple more at uh, Fuji and Sebring. It's been it's been a year for that that particular Porsche, and also now that that's trickled down into being a customer car in GTE Am, uh, the Porsche is a very strong outfit as well. Just look at Team uh, Team Project One. Look, just look at uh, the uh, Christian Reed outfit, Pro, Proton Competition as well. Um, that Porsche, whether it's in factory hands or in customer hands, is clearly unstoppable at times. Um, but yes, yeah, so BMW coming to these big races with a brand new car that there was always going to be some development time. I think the same with Aston Martin as well. Big question mark about what BMW are going to do in the future, but I think Aston Martin are sticking around for a good while. So we'll see that car okay. win again, I'm sure. Uh, but it, I would put it down to just kind of opening season teething troubles. The difficulty is if you have a problem during 2018, that's going to extend into 19 as well, just because of the peculiar yes. peculiarity which is an easy word for me to say, of this particular season. No, absolutely right, Johnny. You mentioned the, the GT. Um, Agidio Perfetti, uh, York Bergmeister, Patrick Lindsay, four Porsche ahead of the Italians. Uh, I, I like Frankie Castellacci. I do. I think he's a great driver. But it's been a fabulous run for the three Porsche drivers. Patrick Lindsay coming over from the States to join the 
uh, evergreen Jörg Bergmeister. I've got to say, Egidio Perfetti, who you know you've seen in particular come through Road to Le Mans and ELMS and um, mm-hmm. and, and various other championships on the ladder system in uh, in European sports car racing. Before that, I did a bit of touring car racing uh, as well, of course. He's done really well, and I, I'm I'm really pleased for that trio because they, they've worked hard and they've gelled well this year as a team. Certainly so, and um, Egidio's done some Porsche Super Cup racing elsewhere. He's done some GT4 racing too. Um, he's actually been racing since 2010, but just in kind of French Carrera Cup and Asian Carrera Cup, plied his trade in that type of car. So I think this is all now coming in very, very useful much later on down the line. Uh, but still a bronze, still very much his focus is elsewhere in business so races intermittently during the season but i think he's been brought on superbly well by um by bergmeister as you say and they found patrick Lindsay, who's been with them for pretty much the whole season who's a fabulously quick silver driver as well um and yeah team project one who were third behind the two uh, porsche 77 and 88 suddenly find themselves out front and by 25 points and they they are looking like they might just do it. Mm. Looking forward to it, Johnny. Uh, qualifying Friday race, Saturday. Don't forget, always the way at Spa. We'll be keeping an eye on the weather as well. It's over on RS3 and Bruce Jones will be joining Johnny for the race weekend as we have full live and exclusive free uh, coverage without block or break. Uh, looking at the penultimate round of this transition season. JP, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Have a good weekend. Thank you, and you. Pleasure. Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones this weekend. Alan Prosser on the Twitter saying, uh, if Fernando wins WAC Championship, does he join Petter Solberg as having won two FIA World Championships in two different courts? Yes, he does. And why? No, because as we just were talking oh, yeah. about, it's not a World Championship. Yeah, good yet. point. It is a championship. It's an FIA championship, but it's not a world championship, FIA Formula E. That's going to smart for him. Do you want it too soon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you're listening to Midweek Motorsports. Uh, uh, Tim, where would you like us to go next? I'd like to go to Talladega. Yay! That would be so much fun. Can we, please? Field trip? Field trip. We're closer than you. Uh, Barely. (laughs) Actually, that's true. We, That's true. We've actually got a lot of really good NASCAR stories that have all come out today, Tim. So I'm curious to see which one you want to start on. Well, I'm going to start because we're all pretending we're in Talladega, uh, which is where they were racing last weekend. Uh, and uh, Talladega is in the middle of a massive upgrade plan. And phase one of that right. was completed in time for uh, the weekend. However, phase one appears to be they've built a tunnel. Uh-oh. Really? Uh, no, wait a minute. Um, upgrade Plans Canadian Tire Motorsport Park built a bigger tunnel, and it really did make a big upgrade. Mm. Mm. Uh, so they had a press conference to announce uh, what was going to happen for Phase 2 of the Upgrade Plan at Talladega. And uh, let me warn you, this is possibly the most radio-unfriendly press conference you will ever hear. Let's take a listen to it. Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, basically, everything going this way behind us 
all the way down to the new finish line RVs that we put in down leading into turn one down there will be torn out as soon as possible. And when we get through doing that, we're going to completely rebuild what you can see over here with the new Talladega Garage experience. Uh, we're really, really pumped up about that. Uh, the centerpiece of that is going to be a giant open-air structure, and coming down both sides of it is two bays of cup garages there with 11 bays in each garage. So basically, we're going to put the fans in the big party zone between those two garages. NASCAR has agreed to have the 1 through 22 in points every time they come to Talladega are going to be lying in both sides of that garage. So we're basically going to be putting all the fans <clears throat> that buy the fan zone upgrade into the locker room, the center of the locker room of the sport. And it's, it's probably cannot ever be done again of this magnitude because we are, we're the biggest racetrack and we have the most acreage or square footage to work with in the infield. So these gentlemen are going to be working with all of our local contractors that we have and the teams that we put together. This is going to be an extremely aggressive project on a tight timeline, but we feel like we have assembled a great team, and they're going to work with them on a daily basis here to get this job done. So basically they're going to change that bit over there, and then they're going to change that bit over there. Do you get that? Which bit over there they're going to change that bit? Or that, this bit? That, that bit there, yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you meant that bit there just behind that. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Beautiful picture that you've painted with that. that that's really that's made far more sense when you explained it to Yeah. I'm glad. But, but 22 garages, um, there were 40 cars that ran this weekend. So that's almost half your field that you're effectively sending to the row of wealth. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. The land of shame. Yeah. They don't worry about that. Uh, as long as the uh, the most point scoring uh, drivers uh, uh, are in the uh, fan zone uh, bit where they can charge extra money, then uh, they're going to make some extra money. Uh, there was another big but, press but conference at uh, oh. Talladega, though. Right. This one we're not going to hear any extracts from because it turns oh, out wow. that after all the hype. Uh, Ryan Newman uh, was announcing he was sponsored by some cooking oil. Oh, well, that might be useful for him. Is he going to start using it regularly or just, you know, for holidays? Cook, cook for the car so he could get through tighter gaps. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. We only had two of the three championships at Talladega, didn't we, Shay? Yes, we did. We had the Xfinity Series. We didn't have your Gander Outdoor Truck Series, though, Tim, unfortunately. They will be back in action this weekend, though. Um, in the Xfinity Series, all eyes were on Jeffrey Earnhardt because everybody was feeling like he was actually coming into this race with a really good opportunity to win. And he didn't, unfortunately. Uh, was taken out in a crash. But it was still a very entertaining race for a Saturday afternoon, at the very least. Not entertaining enough for me to be able to remember off the top of my head who actually won, though, Tim. That's disappointing. It was Ty Reddick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, caught Tim Sorry. in the middle of eating his dinner there. <laughs> we had well, a great car. The day started off great. We do. We were doing everything we needed to do as a team. Um, I had a hiccup on pit road. We lost a couple spots from there. Uh, we had a speeding penalty. The 10 and I were going down pit road, and I think Ross uh, and, and those guys may miss, maybe missed the 
their their speed limit a little bit. So he was pushing me, thinking he was running his speed limit, but it, we were we were speeding. I was trying to slow slow us both down, but that that hiccup put us back. And I I don't know what happened. I I like running close to the wall, and I just ran into it. I don't understand it. But where I hit it, there's a plate that connects like two segments of walls or something like that. I think they have a gate there, uh, and it really killed the right side of our car, uh, and it was coming apart there towards the end of that. Second stage, but we were fortunately able to still st- score stage points, come down, and then go to work on fixing it. And then, as, as you alluded to, the day kept getting crazier uh, as we were working on it. Uh, it took us longer than planned. We came out way behind the leaders, and we were two laps from getting lapped, and we somehow got lucky. A caution came out and saved us and threw us right back in the mix. Uh, Ty Reddick there talking yeah. about his race in the Xfinity Series which, as uh, Shay says, was kind of crazy. Uh, and then in the yeah. big race, the uh, Monster Energy Cup. Crazier. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those races that, coming into it, we'd only had two teams that had found victory lane on the air, and the Chevy organization was not very happy about that. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of important bigwigs at Talladega this weekend who were on site to actually have a sit-down chat with all their teams to say, guys, this is Talladega. We are going to work together to win it. And guess what? They did. (laughs) It it worked out for them. Uh, Some of the Ford contingency worked with some of the Toyota. We had at one point, I think it was Ryan Blaney, actually, who broke ranks with his own team with Penske and said over the radio something about, I can't babysit these guys forever. He tried to go to the front on his own, and he did for about two seconds before he got stuck in the sucker hole and went way back. But ultimately, it was (laughs) Team Hendricks that got their first one of the year, their first one-two, which was really exciting. Ended under a caution, though, really scary crash for Kyle Larson, who'd been running well over the course of the day. But he went head-on into safer barriers coming down the backstretch and then continued to flip and flip and flip. And I think he's actually still slowly rotating somewhere. Um, it was it was not the most pleasant of incidents. And it, the rough year, unfortunately, for Kyle Larson continues. All three uh, all three codes in action this weekend, uh, all back together again. And where are they? Uh, they are at Dover. Oh, Monster Dover. Miles. So it's going to be okay. a very fun weekend. But just before we leave Dega really quickly, the pole-sitting car, which was the number three, uh, it was Austin Dillon. Part of his car was confiscated uh, before qualifying. They've now been issued an L1 penalty, which is the most severe. Uh, They've had fines issued to several members of the the team. And it's all because their rear deck lid did not comply with the 2019 rulebook before the race. So they might have qualified with an illegal car. But we don't want to hear from him. We want to hear from the guy who won. Awesomeville from Dawsonville's son, Chase. Chase Elliott. You know, last year obviously was good with the three wins. Um, you know, the cool thing about today is how early in the year it is, you know, and those playoff points propelling um, some of those guys to the Final Four. Obviously, you need to win at other places, you know, aside from a speedway too. But um, a sticker's a sticker, and the playoff points are what they are. And I think it's important to rack them up as early as you can um, as long as you can keep stacking on top of it, you know. So it's uh, certainly a big deal. Excited about it. And, um, yeah, just nice to get a speedway win. We've, we've been close and had some really fast cars. And um, Alan's never won one uh, in his 15 years crew chiefing or however many years it's been. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, just looking forward to enjoying it. 
I just, you know, try not to just ride the roller coaster, you know, try not to be too up on the ups and too down on the downs. It's, uh, there's just so many things that are out of my control and out of my hands. You have to just kind of roll with it, uh, some days and that's not fun. Sometimes, sometimes mm -hmm. it is, you know, today's like today, it's fun to roll with it. Uh, Richmond, it was not fun rolling with it, you know, so it's just one of those things where uh, you just have to appreciate the, the good days and, and, you know, enjoy them. I mean, these races are too hard to win not to enjoy them, and you never know if or when you're ever going to win another one. Um, and I think having it, having such a hard road to get to win number one made me realize that and appreciate it more uh, than I would have if I'd been able to, you know, get a win right off the bat. So it uh, everything kind of runs its course for a reason. Now, we've spoken about NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series qualifying a few times over the last couple of weeks. Uh, oh, and yes. now they are returning to single car qualifying uh, beginning this weekend, which is at Dover, as Shay said earlier, uh, for some racetracks. So ovals measuring 1.25 miles or less will have two timed laps. Ovals measuring more than 1.5 miles in length will have one timed lap. And road courses will not feature single car qualifying. Okay. But basically, they listened to what we said on Midweek Motorsport, and our friends at Daytona have actioned it. So well done them, because it, you've got to get cars out on the track. Otherwise, where's the value for the spectators who've paid their money to go trackside? Don't disagree with that at all. And whilst we're talking about qualifying and interesting qualifying, the other American code, uh, IndyCar, we will have proper qualifying for the Indy 500 this year. Bump day. Bump it's day is going to be bumped. Yes. Yep. 36 cars on the official Indianapolis 500 entry list for the 103rd running of the great race. So we will have three cars who don't make the show. Ever. You have to earn your spot. You could find yourself in a James Hinchcliffe situation where you just don't make the race. And there are going to be three drivers who go into the month of May with their RV rented and all that, thinking they're going to be the whole time. But it's May 1st. They may not be there come May 24th. And don't forget, before all that even starts, we have got the road course yes. for the Indy cars there, for the Indy GP, yeah. uh, which will run earlier on uh, uh, earlier on this month now. Because yep. Not we, this we, weekend, next weekend. Are we in May yet? Yes, May 1st. Yes, it is May, May 1st. 1st. Yes. Uh, can I quickly it's go not Star Wars Day yet. Yep. Go through those uh, twenty, sorry, thirty-six uh, cars or drivers at no. least. No, 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 really, no. We don't have time. Look it up on the IndyCar site. We we really don't have time to go through thirty-six names. Who who are the who are the non-full championship cars that are there? That's the only uh, thing. James that, Davison, Ben Hanley, um, obviously uh, uh, Patricio Ward isn't counted the full season. Uh, Ed Jones isn't full season. There's a unconfirmed Fernando. driver in the number 32 Uncos car, uh, Fernando Alonso, Jordan <laughs> King. Kyle um, Kaiser, that'll be. Uh, of course. I think they're the only people who aren't doing the... F oh, Pippa Mann isn't doing the full season, of course. Uh, so uh, think... Oriel Serbia, who is yet to be confirmed in the third Schmidt-Peterson car. Yes, yep. the 77 uh, Oriel Serbia, Arrow Schmidt-Peterson motorsports car, uh, may uh, have Oriel Serbia in it. And we'll finish off tonight with a story that is just coming uh, to the fore and reported on racer.com by Marshall Pruitt. This is a story that's been brewing for uh, a little while, since the middle of March. Uh, we, if you remember when we were at, uh, uh, when we were at 
uh, Sebring some time ago, we spoke to uh, we spoke to Brian Herder about the Hyundai Veloster N, and they're running the car in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. But they're also agents for that new Veloster N. Uh, based on the i30 platform, of course, that the guys won their championship with last year. And just uh, hearing now the confirmation of the story uh, that Copeland Motorsport have bought a Veloster N from Brian Hurt at Autosport. The deal has been closed apparently late last week, said Dean Copeland. Uh, they are going to race it in Michelin Pilot Challenge, possibly in World Challenge uh, as well. So that's good news for all concerned uh, good for for her motorsport good for hyundai and certainly good for dean copeland good to see them taking interest in in tcr and potentially being back in the the michelin pilot chance they won't get the car in in time for this next weekend's race but it, they should have it shortly yeah they should have it ready for uh watkins glen and then canadian timbers for back to back and they're a team that we're familiar with from when they ran in the mx5 cup Correct. Several years ago. Yeah, and doughty competitors as well. So they they will not be there to make the numbers up. No drivers uh, so far form an orderly queue or uh, start the email trail uh, right now. Okay, stay tuned. This evening we've got inside story on the National Motorsport Museum of Australia at the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, RS2 for IMSA. Friday and Saturday, RS3 for the WEC. The bottom of uh, radio-show.co.uk has the live schedules and they, those times auto-convert to your time zone, whatever your computer is in. A final word from Tim Gray. Uh, I was going to say that's nearly uh, all we've got time for, but uh, congratulations to Thierry Nerville, who won the WRC round at Argentina at the weekend. And that is all we've got uh, time uh, for. And uh, we will be back at base for the show uh, next week for the first time in a, a wee while. Thanks to Tim, to Nick and to Johnny back in the UK. Share Adam and me, John Hindoff, here in the US. There's no time to explain because the llama is very excited. There could be snow at Spa. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.